Hello, and welcome to Book Club of One. I am Jacob, a librarian, and through the course of a year I read a lot of books. Join me as I detail and share my impressions of the books that have entertained or educated me the most. This week is another of the repurposed content episodes, so it's Thanksgiving week for Americans. And in this cannibalized episode, we'll hear reviews of books that I'm thankful to have read since starting this podcast. So our first book is The New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness, written by Michelle Alexander, who is an associate professor of law at The Ohio State University, a civil rights advocate, and a writer. I came across it uh, featured in the new ebooks through my public library and checked it out pretty quickly alongside Devolution, which we'll explore later. So the new Jim Crow argues that we have not ended the racial case system in America, simply redesigned it. Instead of blatant racism in the form of Jim Crow laws, the war on drugs has served to equate blackness with criminality. So from the Goodreads page, first published in 2010, the new Jim Crow has been cited in judicial decisions and has been adopted in campus-wide and community-wide reads. It helped inspire the creation of the Marshall Project and the new $100 million Art for Justice Fund. It has been the winner of numerous prizes, including the prestigious NAACP Image Award, and it has spent nearly 250 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. From my personal experience reading it, I found it to be very clear, articulate, and informed by extensive research. So Alexander uses the evidence of transcripts from court cases, uh, studies by organizations by the Pew Research Center and many, many others, eyewitness statements, interviews, lots and lots of different sources that just continually to get back to that main point of how the, the war on drugs has made really everyone's first assumption about drug users to be to picture an African-American. Like some of the other books we've talked about for the Black Lives Matter inspired reading, this is one best read a chapter at a time. Uh, and in this case, it's in very many, many instances when it talks about the direct firsthand experience is heartbreaking, talking about the choices people are forced to make through deciding to plead guilty to a drug charge simply just to get home and try and care for their children. And thinking of the, the work itself, it's illuminating both for its subject matter and its time of publication. So again, this was first published in 2010 during uh, the administration of President Obama. And here we are in 2020 revisiting it with a, a much different leader. But it also served to reinforce lessons from uh, Dr. Ibram Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist with its focus on government policy and law enforcement. And it goes through how the, the war on drugs had worked, where crime rate was declining, but by the government changing the narrative to get tough on crime and then setting up the legislation to encourage police departments to have cash bonuses for the number of people they uh, brought to, up on charges against for drug use, as well as the the open access to military technology and supplies through the, the Pentagon and any assets seized as part of the war on drugs would also help go in 
to funding the different police departments. So it creates the system where they are looking for people to charge with drugs just to continue to fund the system. Something I'd certainly recommend reading as we consider the way we as a society can change and do better. Our second book is Sai Gan, a misfits memoir of great books, punk rock, and the fight to fit in by Phuc Tran. Phuc Tran is an author, educator, classicist, and tattooer, as he describes himself on his own webpage. So I'd first seen about this book through a review in the Book Pages magazine, and then in July, towards the end of July, Midtown Scholar had a virtual author talk with him, which that is shared in the show notes if you're curious. Uh, he has also given a, a well-regarded TED talk, which is what led him to writing this memoir. Uh, and it details uh, Tran's coming of age from when he and his family emigrated to the United States from Saigon, Vietnam in 1975 uh, to where it ends discussing his Carlisle, Pennsylvania high school graduation in 1991. And throughout the book, the framing devices he uses for sharing his life is uh, classic works of literature nonfiction. So each chapter picks a book and in some way talks about how his life fit the theme of that book or fit something notable from that book. So in looking or thinking about this book, uh, Phuc Tran is like one of the most honest writers I've read in probably quite some time. Uh, everything is detailed. So he, he discusses the physical abuse from his parents and other family members, uh, like the punishments meted out by relatives when he went against what was considered acceptable through through their culture. Uh, his, his sexual coming of age, again, he gives full detail of those, his general experimentation of exposure to alcohol and the wider world. So, you know, taking up skateboarding uh, and in general, the balancing act of shifting cultures. So in his home life, he, he spoke Vietnamese primarily, but then of course, when he went out into wider society, he needed to speak English. So and as time progresses, he talks about how having that dual identity would affect his language skills over time, particularly as he spent more and more time in the education system. Uh, so in looking at this work, it does not shy away from trauma and disturbing content. Pretty much what happened in his life is detailed here. But he balances all that with, with some levity, such as uh, when he talks about early in the transition to America uh, in the early, late, the mid to late 70s, the Star Wars phenomenon, and how he was very enamored with Luke Skywalker and the rest of that story. So he and his father one day are reading together, and he doesn't know what a Wookiee is. So he asks his father to look it up in the dictionary, and of course, as it was fairly recent at the point, it's not in the dictionary. So they're, they're left stumped trying to figure out a Wookiee is and left without an answer. So it, the book speaks to the commonalities of growing up and wanting to have friends and a sense of belonging in a community, but it also, again, drives back to the trying to fit into cultures. I'm hopeful uh, Phuc Tran will, will write a, a second memoir or volume, because uh, as, as it ends, again, at, right at his high school graduation, he's about to go to Bard College, 
uh, and from looking looking at his bio and the uh, author talk he had done, it, it sounds like his, his fascinating life continued from there because currently he lives in Maine with his wife and children and runs a tattoo parlor, but he also has taught Latin in the past and uh, I believe his, his degree was in the classics at Bard. So again, there seems to be like a, 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 a continued story there about making his own life. Book two for this week's episode is Drawing Power, Women's Stories of Sexual Violence, Harassment, and Survival. Uh, Diane Newman is our editor for the volume, and she is an American comics artist best known within the underground comics movement in the 60s and 70s. For this book, she oversaw and organized the submission and creation of 64 different artists' works. I came across this in the, as an ebook available through my public library, uh, and Drawing Power was inspired by the global Me Too movement. Drawing Power Women's Stories of Sexual Violence, Harassment, and Survival is a collection of original nonfiction comics drawn by more than 60 female cartoonists from around the world. Featuring such noted creators as Emil Ferris, my, who did my favorite thing as Monsters, Alice Kaminsky-Crum, Mary Naomi, Liana Fink, Una, and Ebony Flowers. The anthology's contributors comprise a diverse group of many ages, sexual orientations, and races, and their personal stories convey the wide spectrum of sexual harassment and abuse that is still all too commonplace. So in looking at this and reading this work, the stories are typically short, most being a few pages, and one notably is only three images. The content can be anywhere from the descriptions of rape or sexual assault to the more common harassment. Anything, and those those contents can be anything from a recounting of the assault directly as factually as the person remembers, reflections of how the event changed their lives, or just a general discussion of their viewed place, personal view of their place in society and how it is not structured in a friendly way. I mean, it certainly speaks to the treatment of women. From the uh, editor's introduction, she spoke about how out of all these 64 artists, only one of them approached stated they had no experience with sexual assault. And then of two other contributors, one was raped during the process of preparing for this volume, and the second had to drop out of the project after being sued by her accused rapist. Roxanne Gay wrote the introduction in, in, of this work and states that there are no easy comics to be found here. The comics in these pages will make you think, make you feel, make you laugh, and make you rage. Settings for the various comic comics are accounts from workplaces, bars, social gatherings, and even in the bathrooms and bedrooms of what some people would like to think of as home. 
Book three is The Return of Nancy Pearl. So the book three is The Writer's Library, The Authors You Love on the Books That Changed Their Lives. So it's by Nancy Pearl, who we last heard about in episode 12, is a best-selling author, librarian, literary critic, and devoted reader. She regularly speaks about the importance and pleasure of reading at libraries, literacy organizations, and community groups around the world. This was co-written or co-interviewed with Jeff Schwager, who is a writer, editor, producer, and playwright who has also had a successful career as an entertainment and media executive. The book begins with an introduction by Suzanne Orléans, who is an American journalist and author whose most recent book was The Library Book uh, about the Los Angeles Public Library fire in 1986. She is best known for her book, The Orchid Thief, which was adapted into the film Adaptation in 2002 that starred Meryl Streep. So I first probably heard of the Writer's Library through maybe Book Pages magazine, or I possibly saw it as a Goodreads giveaway, uh, or was recommended to me through Goodreads as having read early other Nancy Pearl books, like her Book Lust series. So the Writer's Library is a series of 23 interviews by Pearl and Schwager with uh, today's, in their words, living literary legends, uh, including interviews with Donna Tartt, Viet Thanh Nguyen Gan, Andrew C. Sean Greer, Leila Lalami, for the second time this episode, and Michael Chabon, uh, about the books that made them think, brought them joy, and changed their lives. And like any Nancy Pearl book, you will have so many books to add to your reading list from just those descriptions of the, either as they developed in, in those conversations or just that they, similar books keep coming up. Uh, so for, for each of those authors, they, there were some questions that uh, Jeff and Nancy had pre ahead of time, but you can definitely see a different conversation each time. Most of the conversations did bring up the author's reading habits, both while they were working on a book or not, uh, and also those reading habits develop from an early age. So they, they try and go back to their early life to think, ask if they were readers in their youth or if there were a lot of books in the home, thinking about the books that were most meaningful to them in those ages, and then how their, their habit continued throughout their life. Uh, some of the authors do discuss their writing styles. So for, for some of the, they talk about short stories versus novels, and some of them short stories are easier, others the novels are easier, and just how, uh, as they're wording, writing on those, working and writing those, whether or not they can read other books, or if that is too much of an influence. As many of them talked about the development of their craft and how they learn to write, and some of them say, you know, I start off by ripping off this author. Uh, and I'd only, going into this book, I, I was familiar with uh, maybe half of those 23 authors, uh, and in one case, it did convince me that I should probably go back and reread something. Uh, that was Jennifer Egan's book, uh, Visit from the Goon Squad. So I'd read that many years ago and not really liked it. Now I think I will revisit it as I'm older, and I might get something else out from it. I think this could be a very interesting audiobook as well if we get to hear the, the audio from those interviews, but I don't know if that'll happen. I read it as an ebook. Our last book of this episode uh, is probably my favorite uh, from the ones featured this episode is We Spoke Out, Comic Books and the Holocaust. 
Uh, it features the work of uh, several authors. So Raphael Medoff is a white Jewish American professor, columnist, author, and comics writer. He is the founding director of the David Wyman Institute for Holocaust Studies, which focuses on America's response to Nazism and the Holocaust. He is the author and editor for 17 books about the Holocaust and Jewish history. And along with our next author featured in this, he co-created the Disney educational production motion comics project, They Spoke Out, American Voices Against the Holocaust. Neil Adams, who was the co-creator of that uh, Disney Educational Productions, is a white Jewish-American comic book artist, writer, penciler, inker, editor, and publisher. He helped design or redesign DC Greats, Batman, and Green Arrow, and has worked in the industry since 1959 for both Marvel, DC, and other publishers. He is also the co-founder of the graphic design studio now known as Continuity Studios, an art and illustration studio primarily supplying motion picture industry with storyboards, animation, editorial production, graphics, and other services. He is also a creator's rights advocate. And Craig Yo is a white American author, editor, art director, graphic designer, and cartoons and comic historian. He has authored or edited more than 100 books and has received multiple Eisner Awards. And this book also includes an introduction and conclusion by Stan Lee, who, if you know anything about comics, I don't need to detail. So initially I learned about We Spoke Out from it being spied by my partner when we visit a comic shop. So thank you. Uh, I also received my version as a holiday, a gift for the holidays. So again, thank you. Uh, the book itself is a look at Holocaust comic book stories from the 1950s to the 1980s, before the Holocaust was widely taught to young adults, children, however you want to find that in the 1990s, particularly after uh, Spielberg's uh, Oscars, uh, Schindler's List, that, that film. So thoughts, uh, again, included introduction and conclusion by Stan Lee. Uh, it's a great reminder of the ties of the comic book industry with people of Jewish descent. For each of the comics or comic stories featured in here, we get the full re reproduction. So you open it up and after the essays introducing and contextualizing them, we're seeing the full panels, and uh, you can certainly see the coloring schemes and those not always working out, and there is some where it looks like it's degraded very slightly with the, the text, but still it's wonderful to be able to see them as they originally appeared. So we have a mix of both like a, a seven to eight page story that would have been in a volume that had multiple pages to a single page or two page spread, again, that will have been part of a like a collection collected stories issue or we see we do get some full issue reproductions that includes uh two full issues of captain america we get a full issue of x-men where professor x and magneto team up to fight nazis uh and we also have batman uh with a a sort of unofficial batman crossover with marvel superheroes for a halloween parade so that one was uh, was a, another highlight so in my role as a librarian, this is a great example of comics as more than just entertainment. It demonstrates them their strength as teaching tools because all of these, again, helped a specific audience learn about the Holocaust when they might not have other ways. And the first 
comic featured in here was the the story Master Race, which I had read separately, but a lot of the others uh, I I was not aware of. So a, a good blend of comics history and just being able to read issues you might not have come across on your own. Our final book of the episode, or in this case a novella, All Systems Read, The Murderbert Bot Diaries Number One. It's written by Martha Wells, who is an American writer of speculative fiction and nonfiction. She has been publishing since 1993 for both adult and young adult audiences, as well as media tie-in work with Stargate and Star Wars. The Murderbot series has received two Hugos, two Locus, and one Nebula Award, all for Best Novella. I'm not really sure where I first came across this. It could have been through Tor's mailing list who has published the series, or just a general recommendation popping up through Goodreads. But while looking to figure out what the book was about, I saw Louis, Lois Bujold give a very favorable review of it. And uh, as a big fan of the Miles Vorkosigan books, I thought I'd give this a try. And the official summary of of all systems read is, in a corporate-dominated spacefaring future, planetary missions must be approved and supplied by the company. Exploratory teams are accompanied by company-supplied security androids for their own safety. But in a society where contracts are awarded to the lowest bidder, safety isn't a primary concern. On a distant planet, a team of scientists and are conducting surface tests shadowed by their company-supplied droid, a self-aware SEC unit that has hacked its own governor module and refers to itself, though never out loud, as Murderbot. Scornful of humans, all it really wants is to be left alone long enough to figure out who it is. And for this novella and the series, it's told predominantly from the perspective of this human-robot hybrid Murderbot. And he is a misanthrope who just wants to be left alone to watch TV. Unfortunately for him, his humans have gotten into trouble and actually see him as a person who could help them. And of course, he feels out of his depth, but keeps faking and hoping for the best. So this is a, a short but good, humorous action-adventure, technological, future-world exploration sci-fi. And that's even in possible, the possible future, corporations are still mostly concerned with mostly their bottom line. And I finished a journal, well, not journal, but Murdered Bot Diaries number two earlier today. And it continues with the theme of Murderbot trying to figure out who they are, but also really just stay away from humans and do what they want and learn as much about themselves as they can. This has been another episode of Book Club of One. Thank you for listening. I welcome constructive criticism and book recommendations, or even if you found a book through this episode and want to share the story, feel free to reach out through Instagram and Gmail at Book Club of Uno. Book Club of One is recorded and distributed by Anchor.fm. And remember, no one should be shamed for reading.